entertained. Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? Good morning and welcome Good morning. to Whoa. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking to me. Wow. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, welcome to episode 35 of Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus Daily Podcast. Uh, back in boring old New York, New York. I am Ben Lindbergh. Uh, and in Long Beach, California, and it sounds like with the door open, no, the door closed in his Honda Fit because I don't hear any crickets. It is Sam Miller. Uh, door is uh, door is open. Crickets uh, are quiet because we're recording in the morning. That's exactly right. Uh, okay. All right. So this is kind of a new sound for the podcast. Uh, good morning, Sam. I'm saying it to you this time. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How was uh, your flight? It was nice. I slept almost the whole way, which was not enough sleep, but it was some sleep. So. I mean, goodness gracious, what time did that flight leave? That flight left Vancouver at 10.50 p.m. and arrived in New York around 7 a.m. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, what is your topic? The Colorado Rockies. Okay. And my topic is attendance shaming. Okay. Um, uh, interesting. Can't wait to hear that one. Uh, sounds like we have a great show lined up. You won't have to wait long. I will start. Um, the Rockies, I uh, I think this is the first time that we've done this. I'm going to cheat a little bit and use a topic that I wrote about tisk, for tisk. today. Um, but not entirely. The Rockies, of course, are doing their four-man rotation experiment, although over the last month, or I guess three weeks, they've actually been doing a five-man rotation with the same pitch restrictions on their pitchers, which is an interesting premise. Um, but anyway, the point is that the Rockies are once again trying something a bit, uh, I don't know, they, they have a plan, they have a they have an idea, they have a reform, they are reforming. Um, and uh, I have to admit, uh, it snuck up on me. I did not realize until I looked last night I didn't realize just how unsuccessful the Rockies franchise has been. I mean, I, I have always had a sense that they've not been a, uh, a, a great, successful franchise. Um, but they have um, – this is their 20th year uh, of existence. They have still not won the NL West. They have uh, twice in their history won more than 83 games, which blew me away. They've won 84 or more games twice. Um, and they've never won more than 92. Um, and uh, so just, uh, I don't know, I guess the, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, as a franchise, they have um, really never put together, even though they made the World Series, and I'm not taking that away from them, and they seem to have a pretty good team coming together a couple of years ago. Um, they haven't really have figured out a way to win, and I don't know if you think that it's because of Coors Field. Um, or if it's just not a well-run franchise. And I don't know if you think that the four-man rotation has a future um, or if this is just another in a long line of reforms that have gone through Colorado every two or three years since the mid-'90s. Well, I guess it's tempting to tie it to Coors Field, and people have done that, and I guess even the Rockies have kind of done that, whether directly or indirectly, by experimenting with their pitching uh, this year because things weren't working. Um, I mean, I guess over that same span, the Rockies are not the least successful team 
Probably uh, I mean, the, maybe the pirate fourth. The pirate, yeah, right. Okay, so there are worse teams. So I don't know that you can say it's definitely the park. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's the most extreme uh, park effect place, I guess, and it seems to be a place where players are affected physically. It's not just their numbers, but it could possibly be their recovery time or uh, how their stuff actually moves if they're a pitcher and how effective that is. And I don't know. I guess it's, I don't know if it's unique, but it's certainly unusual in the sense that it's not just the dimensions of the ballpark uh, that kind of are responsible for those park effects, but actual physical effects, whether it's movement on pitches or speed on pitches or recovery time for players. Um, so I think that could be a factor, certainly. Uh, I wouldn't say it's definitely course though. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, 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 I've always actually kind of been a little bit surprised that it hasn't been tied more closely to course because, I mean, I, I know that when a team goes in to Colorado, it just feels like they get destroyed. Their bullpen gets destroyed. Um, and, you know, baseball pitching and baseball are such, um, I don't know, it's, it's oftentimes it's so much about attrition. And so it seems like if you were stacking three or four series at Coors Field on top of each other, um, it would destroy you. And yet um, the Rockies, I don't know, that doesn't seem to be their issue. Their issue has, it seems to me, been more about their starting than their um, than their relief usage. But I don't know. There's, it's it's hard to isolate the effects of the park on a team that just hasn't really been very good. And it's that way for all analysis of Rockies. It's hard to really tie down their um, their how good their offense is. I mean, you look at a guy like Carlos Gonzalez, or you look at a lot of their players, and a typical park-adjusted stat doesn't seem to do them justice because the home road splits are so much more extreme um and you wonder uh if park adjusted stats don't quite um reflect the benefit that they get from playing in course field and so you always wonder whether some of these guys aren't even as good as we think they are even once we do the math i don't know I mean, the rockies it, weird. it can be an advantage for them too of course and that they are acclimated yeah, to that be. altitude where other teams or other players are not have to it come in be. and adjust to that quickly uh i mean do you think that extreme environments whether it's one way or another pitching favor or or hitting favor do you think they tend to help a team because they can just kind of tailor their ballpark or, or tailor their team to the ballpark whether we're talking about cores or petco or or whatever it is do you think having an extreme offensive environment kind of enables a team to get an edge in the abstract or is it better to just kind of be average and not have to deal with any craziness yeah you would think it would i mean it seems it seems natural that it would and i think that there's probably a sense overall um that 
that is true more for pitching parks than hitting parks. And that might just be our biases because there's a certain elegance to um, a low offense park that you don't really get in the crazy parks like Coors Field. Um, but if you look at the um, home field advantages that each franchise has had over the course of many years, there doesn't really seem to be much correlation between, at least when I looked at it, I didn't look at it super well, but when I looked at it uh, maybe a year or two ago, there didn't seem to be a real correlation between type of ballpark or extremity of ballpark um, or really anything else. Um, there were not a lot of um, strong correlations running throughout. It seems to be kind of a mixed um, mixed bag, although I don't know, maybe attendance is probably the best the best factor and uh, you get good attendance usually by winning and uh, it just so happens that the teams with the most extreme parks haven't won a whole lot lately. There's one other thing about the um, the Rockies, what they're doing that has kind of gone under the radar but might actually be the most radical part of this season for them and that kind of ties back to something we talked about which is that they have actually moved a um, member of their front office into their clubhouse he's uh, I don't I'll mispronounce the name but his name is Bill uh, Gevitt or something along those lines mm -hmm. and um, he has a desk now in uh, in a, into a conference room in the Rockies clubhouse and uh, is handling some of the managerial duties and actually gave a speech to the players a couple of weeks ago, which um, the response, as I read it, was like that everything was great about what he said, but also it was kind of weird to have him talking to them. And so that'll be an interesting thing to see moving forward, whether they break down the traditional divide between front office and clubhouse that could be um, a very radical shift. Yeah, and at first I thought when that was announced that it was sort of a maybe an innovative restructuring of the front office in that Dan O'Dowd remained the general manager but sort of had a lot of the general manager's typical duties taken away from him or at least, I mean, the way it was portrayed, it was that he, it was almost his idea or something, but it, it seemed kind of unlikely that, that that was the case. I mean, at first I thought maybe it was a reflection of the fact that the general manager's job is getting too big for any one person and maybe we'll start to see those responsibilities get kind of divided among a few people and that this could be the way the game is going but then based on the response from most people to that news it seemed like it was just more of a demotion than anything um, mm -hmm. for O'Dowd and it wasn't wasn't really a way to uh kind of optimize how a team is run so much as it was to optimize how that particular team is run because the guy running it maybe wasn't doing the best job um, but they are definitely trying a lot of interesting experiments this year I just realized that about two minutes ago I made a comment about their attendance and I missed the opportunity to segue that into your topic <laughs> so I apologize to the segue fans that we have in our audience <laughs> okay uh so it's september and there are a lot of close races and there are some teams still not drawing particularly well so that means it's it's high time for attendance shaming which is what c angie uh who has written for baseball perspectives and writes for the platoon advantage uh termed this phenomenon recently um and and what she was basically 
pointing to was was the tendency for there to be a lot of hand wringing and a lot of finger pointing when teams that are competing don't draw so well. Um, and of course, this is just kind of an easy column for someone who's looking for a column is, you know, to kind of shame the fan base for not coming out and supporting a team. And, and that is less interesting to me, I think, than when the players do it. Um, and there have been a couple examples of that lately. I, I remember most notably in 2010 uh, when the Rays were, I, I think, had clinched already and were playing for home field advantage late in September and drew something like 12,000 fans. And, uh, and after the game, Evan Longoria and David Price kind of called out Rays fans and Longoria called the attendance embarrassing and disheartening and, and Price also called it embarrassing on Twitter. Uh, and so in response to that, the Rays management just gave away 20,000 tickets it hadn't sold yet uh, for, I think, the last home game of the season or one of the last, the home finale. Um, kind of, uh, they said it was something they were considering already, but it was really sort of a uh, sort of a PR move because people weren't thrilled about those comments. So now we've seen a couple more players do this recently. On August 30th, uh, Adam Jones tweeted, just heard that we drew around 47K for four games against the first place White Sox. And then he said, um, okay, with many, um, with many M's <laughs> and many O's. Uh, and then I guess last night, uh, also on Twitter, Chipper Jones said, come on, Atlanta. The Ted was a morgue tonight. We need you in full force. We feed off you guys. No excuse for the loss. Just saying. Uh, and you'd think Chipper Jones has been in Atlanta for long enough to <laughs> not expect the greatest attendance from Braves fans. But uh, I don't know. I mean, do you think that players are better off keeping quiet about this? Are they kind of justified when they play hard all season and their team is successful and the fans don't show up in saying something? Or really, is it just kind of better for them not to tell people how to spend their money and shame people for not coming to see them play and and really it can only hurt a team and, and its kind of relationship to the the fan base uh i don't think it probably hurts the team i um i th first off though i mean when you think about it eleven thousand people is a lot of people if <laughs> you know i mean it's not relative to the number of seats that they built but if you and i charged people uh, $35 for this podcast. <laughs> I just don't think we would get 11,000 <laughs> listeners. Probably man. Not, no. Do we need to start shaming our, our <laughs> non-existent <laughs> listeners? That, see, that's the thing that's weird to me about these. Um, whenever this happens is that there are two people um, that you could be talking to if you're um, Adam Jones or David Price or whatever. You'd be talking to the guy who showed up in which case, shut up, that guy paid his money, right. he did it. Mm -hmm. Or you could be talking to the guy who didn't show up, who just doesn't want to go. It's not, it's not, like, why should he want to go if he doesn't want to go? I mean, my, uh, I didn't go to the Rays game last night. I, I mean, it would be absurd for David Price to get mad at me for not going to the Rays game. It was not worth my effort uh, to go to a Rays game. What if you're a hardcore Rays fan? 
if I'm a hardcore Rays fan and the value of a ticket is worth more than $35 to me, then I'll go. And if it's not, then I won't. I, I mean, it seems like a pretty simple calculus um, that people are capable of making in their lives. And I, I so I don't think that um, there's any sincere reason to shame fans. Now, on the other hand, I don't really take any of this all that sincerely. I think that it's um, it's fine to try to kind of motivate people to come out i mean you you make a sell you're they're they're trying to make a sell to people and they're saying it's a it's a good experience and you're part of the team and we need you because you're important and that's all kind of um uh you know probably a little bit of uh marketing and i mean not officially because i i don't think that Adam Jones is taking orders from the Orioles marketing department, but I mean, it's just a sense of trying to motivate people to come get your product. It's not original and it's fine with me. I mean, they're not, as far as I can tell, actually rounding up um, Orioles fans who don't go to games and shooting them in a public square. That would be unacceptable attendance shaming. Or at least publicly, passive aggressively tweeting at them. I wonder how many people would show up for the execution of Orioles fans who didn't <laughs> go to games if they held them in <laughs> Camden Yards. Well, Adam Jones would be there. Uh, <laughs> the Braves drew almost 17,000 last night. Uh, they've averaged just a little bit over 29,000 this year, which is right in the middle of the pack, 16th out of 30 teams. You didn't even mention the A's, who had 11,000 for a game against the Angels last night. Yeah, well, have you been to the Coliseum? I, yeah, I, I don't think it's that bad, but, I mean, I I guess I'm alone there. Yeah. Well, anyway. I mean, still, though, I also don't—I think that when I was—the I, I, the quality of the ballpark has almost no impact on whether I want to go to a game or not, so— um, that's just a, a personal thing. I either want to watch the baseball game or I don't. You're a uh, I guess I could, I, yeah, I just don't really pay that much attention to the amenities once the game starts, but I guess that's just me, and I don't hold it against any... I really just have a hard time holding it against anybody for not wanting to spend their money on things that they don't like mm -hmm. enough. Many, many episodes of Up and In Ago, uh, when Price and Longoria made those comments, they're was a rousing debate between Kevin and Jonah Carey, uh, who was the guest, and Jonah was very much opposed to those comments, and kind of for similar reasons, just, you know, objecting to the idea that that anyone should be obligated to spend money on a baseball game, whereas Kevin uh, really liked the comments because he felt that Price was right, that it was embarrassing that no one was there and that he was just telling the truth and that no one should blame him for telling the truth. Um, I guess in a way it is embarrassing if you can't draw fans to a competitive game uh, and if you're not exactly calling out those fans, it's maybe, I don't know, I guess it's how you say it. If you do an Adam Jones, um, okay, that's a little different from exhorting people to come out because you like having a lot of people there. But again, who are you? Who is this message supposed to land on? The people who are there are going to think he's not <laughs> talking to them, and the people who aren't there are going to be unmoved by it. Right. No one's going to read that tweet and, and reconsider their ballpark attendance the, policies. 
I don't the A's, in 1989 and 1990, the A's were second in the American League in attendance. Huh. That That's, uh, I mean, that's interesting yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of obvious reasons for that, but uh, it's still interesting. Maybe they should, um, you know, have they thought about moving, maybe? You know, you'd think they would have considered it. But, you would. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, so if we don't draw at least, let's say, 10,000 listeners to this podcast, we will be passive-aggressively tweeting later about the lack of support from the Internet. Uh, it's going to be extremely passive. You won't even <laughs> be able to tell it's about this. So really look hard for the message. Right. Uh, and we will be back, uh, regardless of how many people listen to us, uh, on Thursday. Is that the day that we will be back? Yes. Okay. We'll be back with episode 36.